Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Those of you joining us online, welcome. And uh, we have this morning uh, sort of a, I call them one-offs, sermons. Uh, It's not a series. We tend to preach through series, uh, sometimes topical, quite often biblical in terms of books of the Bible. Uh, But we're in between series. We just finished Jonah. Next week, we're going to start Colossians. And so uh, your small group leaders will probably be getting in touch with you to talk about when you're gathering together again to start through the book of Colossians, and we'll have a book and some material for you. That's a little different than last time, but all of that information is coming. Um, But I'm excited about that. Colossians is... I have a lot of favorite books of the Bible, but Colossians is definitely one of my favorite books. Uh, It's right up there in the top five, I would say. Um, But this morning... I'm returning to a topic that we touched on a couple of years ago. If you can remember uh, all the way back to the year 2019, before any of us had ever heard about what a coronavirus is or COVID-19, which would become immediately conscious of in the early months of 2020, back in the halcyon days of tranquility and calm of 2019... At that point in time, that year, 2019, we were doing a series on the book of Job, and I preached a sermon on the topic of lament, because of course, Job suffers, and in his suffering, Job does a lot of talking. Uh, He talks to God, he talks about God, he talks to his friends, he talks about his life and his circumstances and how woeful it is, and his talking sounds like complaining. It is a protest against God. And we learned a great deal about the value of lament two years ago, right before COVID hit. And I want to sketch out briefly as a reminder to us again today what we learned about lament. But at that time, we applied the topic in mostly a personal way. Uh, The suffering that we're feeling within ourselves and our own families, it was very personal. Things similar to these things happen to people right here in this church. And this is just a sobering reminder. Someone recently has been diagnosed with cancer. A spouse or close loved one has died. There's been a serious accident causing life-changing harm. A marriage is disintegrating. A baby is stillborn. An addict has overdosed. A family becomes homeless. Someone has attempted suicide. And the list could go on and on. All these things, very personal, deeply troubling things happen in families all the time, even the families that may be sitting right beside you this month or this year. But in addition to all those individual experiences, which is kind of how we processed it two years ago, we were really thinking about our own laments, personal experiences. What we've discovered in the last two years is a a reason for shared lament at a level we never really thought would be possible in 2019. In the shared experience of this pandemic and its impact on all of us, there's a collective lament. So it seemed like a good time for me to review these lessons on lament and then to see if we remember the lessons. And then can we apply the lessons of lament that we learned to how we're feeling as Christians and as citizens today in light of our current circumstances? 
And so we'll begin with a review of lament from Job as a beginning, but then I really want to move on to consider how lament is the soil that nourishes Christian growth. And I'm going to touch on three specifically, and the first one will be the main one. But what I want us to do after we review lament is think how lament is meant to be the soil in which Christian compassion grows, in which our maturity grows, in which our praise towards God grows. Or to put it another way, lament is the necessary Christian experience that should be enriching our growth outwards towards others, inwards in ourselves, and upwards towards God. So to begin, I'll just open in a word of prayer and we'll begin the review. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you as we look into your scripture once again. We continue to remember and to recapture the incredible gift you have given us in lament. It's not a topic we think about or talk about a lot, but we realize that it permeates your scripture, permeates your people, and that it really is something that we have to understand rightly in order that we lament biblically. And that's what we want to learn today by your Holy Spirit and by your word. In Christ's name, amen. So let's just review briefly some of the lament lessons that we learned. What is lament? Lament, uh, as the author Mark Verogrup summarizes, and he has a great book, a few great books on this, but the the first one being... um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. So if you want to look up Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy and, uh, and read about lament, Mark Vogrup has done pretty much the most comprehensive look at it in recent memory. But he says it's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So in short, lament is a language that believers can use to call out to God. It's a prayer. Every word here is important. So it's a prayer towards God. It's not towards others. It's not just complaining. It's not without purpose. It's a prayer towards God. And it's in pain. It's acknowledging that we are still living in a world that endures suffering. So it acknowledges the reality of pain, but that it leads to trust. It's moving us somewhere. Lament is not a dead end of depression, but lament is a journey which takes us someplace and it moves us towards trust or faith or hope. And it's also theological recovery. Lament at its best when we're rehearsing it for ourselves is good, truthful doctrine about God. So lament is a prayer language. It allows us to speak to God. It allows us to complain to God, to protest to God properly as we wait for his intervention that will come. And we saw this in Job, again, just as a review. Job 7.11, Job says himself, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Lament is a spoken complaint. He says, today also my complaint is bitter, my hand is heavy on account of my groaning. And he goes on, he says, bear with me and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. He's talking to his friends there. If you remember Job's friends who weren't really great friends, he says, look, just let me say what I need to say and then you can make fun of me after I'm done complaining about my life. And we're going to touch on that aspect of mocking a little bit later. And in addition to Job, we have the Psalms. 
the prayers of the psalmist, which ask questions of God like, will the Lord spurn me forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his steadfast love come to an end? And prayers like that, prayers that would be shocking if you heard them prayed in your small group. You would think, you know, this guy needs to go talk to Pastor Paul. His theology is a little off if he thinks God's forgotten him or that his graciousness has come to an end. But that's just praying the Bible. This is how people prayed. The people of God have the gift of this language of lament that God has given us, and we really need to understand it if we are going to grow well as Christians and lament biblically and properly. But in addition, Psalm 13 is a great, it's only six verses, and if you just want a summary of lament in the shortest possible prayer, you could look at Psalm 13, make a note of that in your Bible. Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see how it's a journey. There's complaint, there's protest, there's pain, there's suffering, but it ends in hope in God. It's a prayer of complaint directed at God, made in pain, leading to trust. So back in 2019, we learned ways to lament properly. In all the complaining that Job did, we're told that Job did not sin with his lips in Job 2.10. And what that means is there are ways that Christians can complain which is sinning. There are ways in which we can grieve or complain or protest or, you know, moan or whatever which is sinful But the way that Job did it and the way the Psalms do it is not sinful. So there are ways that Christians need to learn to lament properly and biblically. And so what did we learn? Again, just as review, how did we lament? Well, we come humbly. Lament may start with anger and frustration. We all react first out of our flesh because we are still embodied souls. You know, God did not when we were saved or baptized, suddenly snatch us up to heaven into perfection right away. He left us here on earth in our fleshly bodies. And so we may start with anger and frustration led by the flesh, but we learn to, as Christians, be led by the Spirit and come humbly. We don't stay in anger and frustration. We acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Even as Job demanded to be heard, Job never misunderstood that it was God he was asking an audience for. He was the servant, and God was the master. That was never in any question with Job. So lament starts by coming humbly, and then we learn that we pray the Bible to give proper voice to our pain. Job never had this advantage the way we do. We have the book of Job. We have the Psalms, Lamentations, portions of Samuels, Chronicles, Esther's, the minor and major prophets. We have so many biblical laments to guide us. As Christians, we should properly make use of those biblical laments so that when we pray to God, we pray his words back to him. Thirdly, we learn to be honest. We often struggle, especially as Christians, who feel like we shouldn't be complaining to God. 
who feel like it somehow, you know, is wrong to, you know, think that God owes us an answer to anything. We're, we're kind of dishonest when we pray. We think that we can hide our grief or, you know, everything's really okay, God. You're doing a good job. Everything's fine. You know, and we feel a little bit like we need to be almost dishonest in order to protect God. But lament is brutally honest, brutally honest about what is going on in our life. None of our complaints, none of our feelings about our situation, about ourselves, or even about God, and this may shock you, is a surprise to God. He already knows them, okay? So when you are in your closet praying, when you are lying in bed or kneeling by the bedside, or when you're driving in your car and you're praying, you can tell God everything you think about, everything that's bothering you, because he already knows. You can't secretly think, well, you know, God's not doing a great job, but I'm going to tell him he's doing great. No, God already knows. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows your pain. He knows your faithlessness. He knows your questioning. So be honest. When we read these verses in Job and in the Psalms, it's hard to imagine any more honesty than we read here. God is bigger than your complaints. He's not afraid of any of them. He wants to bear them with you. Fourthly, we learn don't remain in complaint. Don't stay in complaint. The goal of lament is to move past the despair, past the venting of what Job calls his wind words, which are just, he's angry, he's venting, just pay no attention to what I'm saying right now. You don't stay in complaint. It's meant to move you on to the next step. It's a process, and lamenting is just, or complaining is just the beginning And then finally, surrendering to God's justice. When we read some of the Psalms, we see that they very honestly want their enemies to be destroyed and all their families killed. When you read what are called the imprecatory Psalms, there's a new word for you, imprecatory, word of the day. When you read the imprecatory Psalms, they sound actually quite terrible. They, they want God to destroy their enemies and kill all of their family and lead them into destruction. But Notice that the psalmists do not kill their enemies, nor their families, or their children. Rather, the psalmists bear the honesty of their feeling that that's what they want to God, and then they allow God to be the arbiter of justice. The psalmists do not take the situation into their own hands. They say, this is what I'm feeling, God, but it's your justice that prevails. It's you who will be the arbiter of justice and mercy. So lament in that way is not a failure of faith, but it is an act of faith in a trustworthy God. And then finally, we saw that lament is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lament lets us hear from ourselves and hear from each other exactly what it is that Jesus came to offer. Redemption from sin and suffering is the good news. It's why Jesus came. The good news of the gospel is not about health and wealth and success and prosperity. And when you become a Christian, your life will be perfect forever and nothing bad will ever happen to you. That is not the gospel. It's a God, the real gospel is a gospel that reaches into us in the very midst of our suffering and trials. The gospel acknowledges our pain, and lament acknowledges our need for a Savior. But the gospel is, is that despite our sin, despite the suffering that we've brought on ourselves as the world, there is a faithful God who will redeem us if we call out to him. In a culture that values authenticity, lament is a beautiful way for Christians to demonstrate authenticity that is biblical and gospel-centered. 
We basically say, this is how Christians grieve. We know that there is pain and suffering. We know how to acknowledge our need for a Savior. The gospel is that God has seen our suffering. He's joined us in our suffering through Jesus on the cross, and he will use our suffering and use Jesus' suffering to redeem ours. That's what we learned about lamenting. That's just a little remind you of 2019. And so with that introduction out of the way, now I can start my sermon. Okay, i got lots of time. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to keep it short. But I just felt like we really needed that reminder. We had to get our mindset into lament again. We had to get our frame of reference back to what it means as Christians to embrace the reality that God has given us the gift of lament as a language for our grief. And then we can maybe see three new lessons in lament that I outlined in the beginning. I think it's important. It's even more important for us now as Christians, not only to see lament as a gift that God has given us in order to manage our grief and suffering in a biblical way. It is that. So as a Christian, I say, okay, here's lament, and you know, I sort of pull lament out of my toolbox when I need to deal with my grief. It's that. But what I want to drive at today is that it's more than just a tool that we pull out in certain circumstances of our Christian life. I think what will be helpful to us is if we understand lament, or think of it from the frame of reference, that lament is actually the soil in which all of our Christian maturity and all of our Christian growth actually comes from. Lament is deeper than just, and more than just a tool that we use, more than just a gift God has given us for suffering. Lament is fundamentally the place in which and which nourishes and which fertilizes Christian growth. And I'm just going to talk about three areas of growth. It really could be all of them, but just the three that we talked about earlier. It really, lament really will help us as Christians if we put our roots down into it to grow in compassion towards others, maturity in ourselves, and praise towards God. When Christians see someone who's lamenting. You, you, you see someone who's grieving. You see someone who is discouraged by their circumstances. Well, what is our first response as Christians meant to be as we see others in lament? Well, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep, and live in harmony with one another. So Paul says there's an aspect of Christian unity or of relational harmony that springs from sharing joys and sharing sorrows. Be happy with those that are happy, but also weep with those who are weeping, or we could say weep with those who are lamenting. And I think this is where the lesson of lament could have been, should have been most helpful over the last two years if we think about our now shared lament of the pandemic which we could not have imagined in 2019, that we would all collectively, as a nation, as a world, as a church, share in the same lament at the exact same time. We're all lamenting. We're not all lamenting over the exact same things. Sometimes, some of us are even lamenting over things that we disagree with, what we should be lamenting over, or lamenting over the opposite things. But remember that everyone you see with regard to the pandemic is lamenting. We're all lamenting. 
And we need to do that lamenting together. Paul says, weep with those who weep. The Christian prerogative in seeing lament is to join in that lament with others, to do it together, to not do it apart, not at odds with each other, but do our lamenting together. Now, some people are lamenting the burden of this pandemic has placed on our healthcare system. They're lamenting the, the, the harm caused to healthcare workers, actual family members of theirs who are burnt out and broken down by double and triple shifts. Some people are lamenting jobs that have been lost because of shutdowns and lockdowns. Some people are lamenting premature deaths in their families and funerals that they were not expecting to have happen. Others are lamenting premature bankruptcy or financial hardship. Some are lamenting the apparent lack of concern shown for the health of others, while others are lamenting the apparent willingness to overlook the rise in overdoses and domestic violence and alcoholism and child anxiety and depression in the name of flattening one curve, seeing other curves spike. Some people are lamenting the loss of normalcy. Others are lamenting the loss of justice. We're all lamenting something in this pandemic. We're not necessarily all even lamenting the same thing, but we're all lamenting something. But here's the point of Romans 12. Notice the connection that Paul makes. Weep with those who weep to live in harmony with one another. If we can't get our... If we can't or we won't lament together, then it ultimately, Paul implies, leads to disharmony, to disunity. And this is what we've seen, isn't it? This is what we've seen over the last two years. We've seen churches. We've seen nations. We've seen whole groups of people who refuse to lament together, and it's resulted in disunity. Our inability to join in and to sympathize with, to nurture compassion for the lament of others, has created disunity, and what it's done is not cause compassion to flourish, but cause compassion to wither and to die. And we've seen this played out on the national stage. And trust me right now, I've had it up to here with politics of any form. So this is not a political statement. It's not even a political example. It's a human statement. It's a human example. On a national stage, thousands of people have tried to express their lament, to have their lament heard. Now, is it a biblical lament? A proper lament? No, not really. Not at all, which is why rather than being seen as lament, we see it the way Job's friends saw his words, mainly as complaint and as protest. It is misdirected lament and misunderstood lament. There's more shouting than weeping, not unlike Job. But at its heart, the protest of the people, the lamenting of the nation is lament. But let's try, as an example written large on a national stage, to understand what's going on in our country as lament. In fact, let's try to understand all the protests, all the confrontations of this nature as rooted in the lament of the human heart. People are grieving together for two years. Let's imagine that all grievances are actually rooted in grief. Then what then, if that is true, is a biblical response to lament? For us Christians, it's to join in it. It's to weep with those who are weeping. It's to lament with those who are lamenting. It's to understand where their cry of protest is coming from. 
And Paul knows something about the human heart here. The Holy Spirit, believe it or not, is wise in fathoming the human condition. If you truly weep over another person's pain, if you can lament what they are lamenting, then compassion grows and harmony flourishes. Rather than finding reasons to disagree with another person's lament or to cancel their lament or to dehumanize their lament, in other words, like Job's friends, we have mocked their sorrow instead of joining them in it. Remember, Job said, just let me speak and then you can mock me, okay? And the language of mockery has been on a catastrophic rise in the last two years. But the Bible tells Christians our language is not to be the language of mockery. That's the language of Job's so-called friends. Our language is to be the opposite of mockery. Job's mocking friends are not in the right. They are proven to be dead wrong by the end of the book. Rather than mock, the Bible commands us to join our brothers and sisters in weeping lament and for them to join in our lament as well. Lament is the common ground on which we can meet and discover compassion for one another rather than mocking and animosity. And over the past two years, I have failed and succeeded at this to varying degrees. And I can tell you from my own personal experience in succeeding and failing in this regard, every time I have made the effort to join in lamenting the pain that others feel, of seeing the suffering that they see, even if it's not the lament that I have, When I've made the effort to join them in their lament, it has only caused my compassion to be increased and reduced my anxiety and reduced my anger and reduced my mocking. On the other hand, every time I have discredited or diminished or straw-manned or caricaturized their suffering and ignored their lament, it has only served to decrease my compassion and increase my frustration and discontentment and mockery. I imagine over the last two years, we've all failed and succeeded to various degrees in joining others in their lament versus arguing with them about their lament. And to a large part, I imagine we failed because we did not recognize that lament is what was taking place. We didn't realize that lamenting was what was going on and that we needed to be joining in with them in their lament and they needed to be joining in our lament and that the path to unity and compassion lay in sharing our lament. We thought that what we saw was politics or ideology or mandates or statistics, and we didn't recognize it as lament. But this is the lesson, I think, for us as we reconsider lament. Underneath all the politics, all the ideology, all the Facebook posts, all the complaints, all the whatever you want to call it, underneath all of that are just people who need to lament, who are grieving the shared grief that we all feel for the last two years. People who, like Job, need company in their lament. And Romans 12 says, we weep with those who weep. That is our Christian duty. So I think then, if we can frame our present circumstances as a nation and even as a church from member to member and family to family, from friend to friend, in the context of lament, then all of these discussions and all of these conversations will look much different. They will look much more biblical, much more redemptive. And this is why I say that lament is the soil in which our compassion is meant to grow, leading to harmony. That's the first point and the main point, but I want to add two quick important implications to that point. 
Secondly, lament is the soil in which maturity grows in ourself. Because in lament, we emulate God in Jesus Christ. As I touched on earlier, lament is a place in which we picture the gospel. The gospel is this, that God saw our suffering. God heard our lament, our cry out for a Savior, for realizing our bankruptcy. And just as he heard the lament of Nineveh that we studied the last few weeks in Jonah, God heard our lament and our cry, and God responded by joining us in our suffering. God actually came in the person of Jesus Christ to say, I'm going to weep with you who weep. I am going to suffer with you who suffer. Jesus embraces our pain and our suffering, even our temptation. Hebrews 4, 14 to 15 tells us that we have a high priest in Jesus who is able to sympathize with our weakness. How is Jesus able to do that? The verses say because he has passed through the heavens. In other words, Jesus came down from heaven and he joined us in our weeping. He joined us in our suffering. He joined us in our lamenting. And just as Christ joined us in our suffering and in our lament, we then as Christians are called to weep with those who weep, to join with those who lament, to sympathize with those who suffer and join in their suffering. Lament is the soil in which our Christian maturity grows as we, in our joining people in lament, act like Christ. What I mean by this, Paul says in a very practical way in his second letter to the church of Corinth. This is one way in which our maturity grows in joining people in lament. He says, Blessed be the God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. And so Paul just says very practically, You grow as a Christian when you join others in their suffering and you comfort them with the comfort you have received. But I think Paul frames our growth and our maturity in Jesus Christ even more profoundly in Galatians 6.2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfilling the law of Christ. Think about it. Can there be any higher calling for a Christian? Is there any higher peak of Christian maturity than to be able to claim that you have fulfilled the law of Christ? And Paul says we do that fulfilling of the law of Christ when we join in bearing one another's burdens or weeping with those who weep or lamenting with those who lament. How do you want to phrase it? This is the picture of the gospel. It's what Christ has done for us. It's what we're called to do for each other. It's how we fulfill the law of Christ. And so lamenting is the soil in which Christian maturity flourishes. Joining with one another, bearing with one another, in lament is where Christian maturity grows. And then finally, the third thing that we can take from lament is that lament causes growth in our rejoicing towards God. It is the soil in which our rejoicing grows. And at some point along the way in this message, you might have started thinking, but doesn't the Apostle Paul also say, rejoice in the Lord always? I'll say it again, rejoice. That's in Philippians 4. And then in, and Pastor Paul, not Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, 
If you're telling us that we're supposed to spend all of our time tilling the soil of lament, that doesn't sound much like rejoicing. But Apostle Paul, who I listen to a lot more than you, says to rejoice in the Lord always. But you see, this is God up to his familiar God things. Redeeming everything for his glory. See, God, by his grace, has made lament the very means by which the garden of our rejoicing is made all the more deeply rooted, all the greener, all the taller, and the fruit of our rejoicing all the sweeter. You remember at the end of our little training psalm of lament, Psalm 13, the end of it said, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It was the English theologian Thomas Fuller who coined the phrase, It's always darkest just before the dawn. And he said that phrase by means of explaining this very contrast that we as Christians understand is the reality of Christian joy and Christian rejoicing, that it is made all the more fuller and sweeter and fruitful through lament, not in spite of lament. Dawns are only bright because night is black. The darkest pain that leads to lament and proper lament that is not the dead end of despair but a pathway to trust results in the greatest, brightest kind of rejoicing. We rejoice even in our lamenting. In fact, we rejoice all the more because we lament. Our need for lament is the backdrop against which the trustworthiness, the faithfulness, the mercy, the grace, the glory of God is displayed in greatest contrast. And so lament is not contrary to rejoicing. Lament is the soil in which rejoicing grows, and it is the backdrop in which rejoicing shines all the brighter because we have a God who is faithful in spite of our sin and who is redeeming a world that is broken by suffering. We may enter into lament with tears of sorrow, but we emerge with tears of joy and with bonds of unity and with compassion and confidence. In other words, we emerge from lamenting if we do it properly with rejoicing as a people. So, how have you been doing? How have we been doing? Over the last few weeks, over the last few months, over the last couple of years with this lesson of lament... Have you been able to understand your own sorrow, your own frustration, your own anger, your own anxiety as really a need to properly lament what has taken place in your life, in your family, in your country as COVID and the pandemic has affected all of us in different ways? Have we gotten angry and frustrated and protested against God? Or have we personally recognized, wait a minute, I need to lament. That's what's going on in my heart right now is a need to respond biblically to lament. What about others? Are you cultivating compassion by recognizing that their anger and their frustration and their protest is their need to lament? And are you joining them and helping them to lament what they have sorrow over in their heart? Have you allowed them to be heard, to just listen as Job's friends should have done? And are they listening in your lament? I think if we can see how deep the soil of lament goes in our life, 
If we can open ourselves up and be willing to hear what others have to say, not as frustration, not as complaint, not as anger, not as protest, but listen to what they're saying as lament and frame what we have to say as our lament, that will change the complexion of the whole conversation. There's a rich opportunity for the church to lead the way in showing each other, showing our community, showing our nation how lament is meant to be an opportunity for compassion to grow, for unity to grow, for harmony to grow, rather than for disunity and for mocking and for fracturing to take place. And for lament then to be turned into rejoicing at the wisdom and goodness of a God who gives us this gift of lament as a language to care for each other in. So for yourself, for us as a Christian family, let's not overlook lament. I think lament is exactly the frame of reference we need to embrace in order to understand what's going on collectively. As a nation, as a church, in your family, Embrace the gift of lament. God wants to hear it. We want to hear it. We want to join you in what you've been suffering and process it that way. God is a little bit wise about the human heart, and that's why he's given us lament. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us when we have missed this. Forgive me when I've missed it when I've been angry and frustrated rather than recognizing I really just need to lament in sorrow the things that I've lost, that I've seen others lose, what we've lost as a nation, what our children have suffered. So, Father, start with forgiving me for not lamenting. Father, forgive us as a church if we've not lamented properly, if we've overlooked this. Father, forgive us if we've not heard the cry of other people's hearts as lament, when we've just brushed them off as being angry or stubborn or whatever. And instead of going beyond the wind words, as Job calls them, to the heart of the matter, which is that there is not a citizen, there's not a family member, there's not a friend, there's not a family in this church, in this country, in this community, who's not got something to lament collectively. So, Father, help us to process this as lament. Make us a biblical people who deal with our hearts and deal with each other in a biblical way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us.